Hello, and welcome to We Are the Weirdos, Mister, the podcast for all things cult, camp, queer, and creepy. I am your host, Hillary Michelle Post, and with me today is a guest whose appearance on this show has been long overdue. She's an educator, a mentor, and one of my best friends in the world. I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Heather Hare to the podcast. Hi, Heather. Hi, thank you for having me. Yay. The film Heather and I will be discussing today is difficult to categorize. (laughs) It's a psychological thriller, period drama, lesbian romance, dark comedy, all rolled into one. And it is amazing. We are discussing the 2016 South Korean film, The Handmaiden. And the film is based on an English novel by Sarah Waters called Fingersmith. Uh, Sarah Waters is a prolific author of lesbian period romance, including Tipping the Velvet and The Night Watch. And her works have been adapted to the screen for on numerous occasions. In fact, Fingersmith was also adapted as a BBC television miniseries in 2005. But where The Handmaiden differs is that, one, it relocates the story from Victorian Britain to Japanese-occupied Korea in the 1930s. And though I haven't read Fingersmith, it is apparently quite different in other ways as well. So much so that Sarah Waters is quoted as saying that The Handmaiden isn't so much based on Fingersmith as it is inspired by. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So that's on my to-do list, though, is to watch Fingersmith. Um, Though I feel like it probably won't have as much wacky fun as (laughs) as this adaptation does. Yeah. And one thing that I just wanted to note, that I love that this was done by a dude. Like, a dude directed this. Mm -hmm. And I think he did a really good job of, of doing it. I kind of assumed when I first started watching that a woman had directed it, but no, it's a guy. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about, um, I don't know, other people will have differing opinions on this, but I feel like at least that it doesn't feel as male gazy as it could have. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It lets itself, it's horny and perverted, with, but without feeling like, like horny and perverted it's letting women be horny and perverted yeah as opposed to using lesbianism as in titillation for men mm-hmm. you know what i mean yes i do um have you ever seen uh old boy no it's that this director's most famous uh, film and there's they're very very different films in every way possible but there's a slight undercurrent of chaotic energy in both of them (laughs) that when I found out it was the same director, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. can kind of see that. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I first watched this movie a year or two ago because Heather told me to, I'm really glad that you did. (laughs) I, I watched it. I don't really know why I was first drawn to it. But I just watched it run, like, random Sunday when it first came out, and I loved it, and then started screaming about it to everyone that I knew. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of more people had seen this than I even realized. I mentioned it casually at work today, and someone I never would have guessed was just like, I've seen that movie. I love that movie. I'm like, fuck yes. Yay, more people need to see this crazy cuckoo lesbian period romance. Yes. 
So we're going to go through, I have the plot broken down pretty simplistically. Okay. Um, it's, I'm going to try to go a little bit more linear than the movie does just a little bit. Um, we're going to go through things we find out basically in the same order, but, um, this movie jumps all over the place. There's changes of points of view. There's flashbacks. There's all sorts of craziness. Um, and I think watching it a second time, I was surprised about how how easy, a lot easier to follow it was than I remembered. Mm-hmm. I, I think the first time you watch it, you're just like, the whole time, you're just like, holy shit, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> you're just, you're blindsided so many different times. But on repeats, it's not as all over the place as I remembered. It's Yeah, it's I agree. Yeah. Um. The film is all in subtitles. Um, it's, I think the Japanese is subtitled in yellow and the Korean is subtitled in white or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, we start off by meeting um, Suki, who is a pickpocket, uh, Korean, like poor Korean girl. Her whole, she basically lives in a family full of con artists. Um, and one con artist who we never, I think, I don't think we ever learned his real name, but he goes by uh, Count F- uh, Fujiwara. He uh, stops by and tells them of this plan he has to seduce Mary and steal the inheritance from a Japanese woman named uh, Lady Hideko. And the plan is that Suki will work as Lady Hideko's, Hideko's handmaiden. She will convince Hideko to marry Fujiwara. Fujiwara will have Hideko committed to an asylum. And then Fujiwara will give Suki a cut of the money and all of Hideko's money and jewelry. And that's like the big master plan. Basically, right? Yes. Yes. At first. (laughs) (laughs) I... And I love Suki. I think that actress is so freaking beautiful. She is. She's so cute. Oh, I love her so much. And even though Count, the Count is, I'll basically just refer to him as the Count. Um, he's a, a skis. He's also very handsome. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, he can seduce me and steal my money. That's fine. <laughs> um. So Lady Hideko's story is that she lives with her uncle who he helped the Japanese take over Korea in exchange for a gold mine. So he's really stupid rich. He's he is Korean, but he loves Japanese culture and English culture both. And he collects books. He has a massive book collection and he starts selling forgeries to help further fund his collection. And which is how um, he gets in touch with the count, correct? Right. The count apparently has been brewing this. We find out later that like he's been planning this for years. Mm-hmm. And he studied how to to make forgeries specifically so he could get in this the uncle's circle. And the uncle has Hideko 
do readings in front of basically small audiences of men to be like here let's read from these uh, books we don't find out till later what the books are but we just know that Hideko does readings for him yeah that's quite a reveal when it's like the little girl and it was like vagina <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> someone like, okay <laughs> not usually where I start when I teach someone how to read but whatever <laughs> yeah we find out later like in the second act that the books that did Hideko has to read is just like straight up porn really graphic <laughs> porn um and that's part of the reason why these books are so valuable and he has he makes all of these money reselling them because these pervy old men come watch this beautiful woman read filth and then they want to buy the filth barf yeah yeah um but we don't know this at the beginning we think that lady hideko is really naive and sheltered um and that kind of plays into the plan and one thing that i love about this movie <laughs> once um Suki goes starts working for her. if anyone who has watched period lesbian romances there's a lot of tiptoeing around and it's a, usually a real slow burn and there's just like subtle hints and gazes not so much in this like from the from the get-go she's like holy shit this little woman is beautiful why didn't he yeah. tell me she's so beautiful like yeah. i love her <laughs> yes, i love that that was that came out so quickly in the movie like she was really into her yeah just right from the jump and like almost immediately suki is starting to feel guilty she's like this poor girl is stuck in this house with her pervy uncle who she's meant to marry the uncle someday which is fucked yes <laughs> yeah <Ugh>. yeah <sighs> um she helps her prepare for the readings, helps her get uh, dressed and undressed each day. Um, but her other like main point of being there is to talk up the count and can like convince Hideko to fall in love with him. But that gets more and more difficult for her because she loves her. Yes. So thing- sorry. I was going to say, it's just like a combination of feeling guilty because she feels bad for this girl's entire situation. And also feeling jealous because she's falling in love with her at the same time. A couple things that I picked up as they were like interacting with each other, like beautiful outfits, beautiful sets. And then like, I loved this scene where uh, Suki was like opening the drawers for her and she was deciding which gloves she wanted to wear. And it was like 15 drawers of gloves. Like she had like <laughs> a million pairs of gloves. And I just, I had to note that because I thought that was funny. And she was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I love too that because of the uncle's like fascination with English and Japanese culture, we get so many different types of costumes. Um, When she does her readings, she wears these really elaborate traditional Japanese outfits, but like from day to day, she wears these really beautiful period Mm thirties English type gowns and stuff. Oh God. Another thing about this movie, like on paper, when you know everything that like happens in it, it sounds kind of it sounds so tawdry that you imagined it'll would be kind of more like a B movie. Yeah, which you also get used to as anyone who has watched many lesbian movies. There's very few that aren't just you know 
look like they were filmed on a potato (laughs) with a budget of four dollars you know what i mean so when you start watching this movie and like it's everything about it is gorgeous the sets are huge and gorgeous the costumes are gorgeous the cinematography is amazing it's just like whoa (laughs) yeah yeah i agree um we find out that hideko's aunt the very first night that uh, suki's there she um is woken up in the middle of the night from hideko screaming in her sleep and we find out that her aunt had um hung herself in the cherry blossom tree like outside hideko's window and she says that she sees her ghost there sometimes and she has nightmares all the time and so she has she actually goes and sleeps in with suki and her in her bed in the servants quarters off of her room i love that shot too because you see suki's like looking out the window at the tree and like comes running behind her screaming which yeah. makes her scream and they both yeah. <laughs> there's so much physical comedy in this movie that you don't expect to be there it's so funny yes I agree um let's see sleeps the first night with her starts to fall for her I'm not just going through all my bullet points of all because yeah. everything well, starts happening so quickly well when they first I think I'm about the same place you are there there becomes some like sexual tension between the two and um about the time where uh suki starts falling for her um she's in the bath and she's like oh my tooth it's bothering me and i just love the scene because she's like oh suki's like i'll get a thimble pretty much Mm -hmm. right that's what it was Mm -hmm. and she's like i will like put it in your mouth and i'll like file down your tooth and she did it for so long. I'm like, does she have a tooth left? Like, yes. she's like hold on, too long. I'm like, this can't be. Like, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's very subtly kinky, too. Yes. Yes. Because, like, a lot of Suki's experience is with children. Like, she helps babysit, like, infants. And she treats Hideko kind of like a little kid. Yeah. She, like, she gives her a lollipop to suck on while she's mm-hmm. having her bath. So she'll associate it with something sweet. And she like learned that tooth filing trick on teething babies. And like, so you have this weird, like mommy kink. Yes. Meets oral fixation meets just, uh, meanwhile, Hideko's titties are yeah. fully out. Like <laughs> of, uh, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Not the last. Yeah, yeah. There's just like a shot. Like she has her a finger in Hideko's mouth, and while she's in a tub naked, and then even like I think in one of the flashbacks, doesn't it show that Suki got in the bathtub with her? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, this movie's so horny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's so beautiful and so horny at the same time. It's so weird. Um. Then one night. Yeah, this is still in Act One. Then one night she has um, she has Suki sleep in bed with her. That's after she goes on the walk with the Count, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. So most of the first act is from Suki's point of view. So she 
is helping the count, you know, quote unquote, seduce Hideko or convince her to elope with him. And they go, they do painting lessons as a pretext of why they're spending time together. And they walk out into the woods for a painting lesson. And the count sends Suki off on some errand. And when she comes back, she sees them in an, in an embrace, the count and Hideko. And she gets upset because there's all this romantic tension building up between them already. And then I think it's that night. Um, Hideko asks her to ask Suki to sleep in bed with her. And they're laying in bed and they start talking about asking about what will the count expect of her on their wedding night? Like, what is it that men want? What is it that men do? And they start to experiment on each other under the pretense of, oh, this is what the count will do. This is what the count will want. And it's one of those, like, it's hot in a fantasy context. Yeah. But in a real context, it's all sorts, it's all kinds of fucked up. Because, like, Suki is is having sex with her, essentially. Even though she's planning this, this plot against her. And we think, the audience at this point, thinks that Hideko is completely naive and doesn't know anything about sex, when in reality she's reading filthy, filthy, smutty stuff all the time. She knows what she's doing. So they're both kind of taking advantage of each other without knowing it. It's, But it's still hot. (laughs) Yeah, so many levels of dramatic irony in this this movie. But at this scene, I love the very, very intense um, camera angle when Suki is, like, going to, like, do dirty things to her. And she's, like, talks about how her vagina is spellboundingly beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's really awkward. She's got her tongue out. And, like, she's going towards the camera. And I'm like, that camera angle is ridiculous. Oh, 100%. That's <laughs> I loved it. It's so funny, like, it lets, excuse me, it lets sex be silly, which yeah. I think, there are some people who think this movie is too vulgar, and that because it's vulgar, that's what makes it a male gaze, but that's not true. If it was all about male gaze, then it would be highly stylized and perfect and beautiful and, you know, Spice Channel looking. It's not. It shows that sex is goofy and awkward yeah. and kind of gross sometimes and just it's so <laughs> I love it so much it's so silly so they do the do um, <laughs> they do they do the do then Hideko um, tells Suki well she asks it kind of like a hypothetical just like well, what if I don't want to marry the Count? What if I love someone else? And Suki is dumb and <laughs> panics and says, no, 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 you have to marry the Count. And Hideko was doing this as a test to see if she would like admit that she had feelings too, and Suki kind of failed that test. Yeah. So Hideko slaps her and kicks her out of the room and is like, fuck off. Um... But despite that, we it does still jump ahead. We see that she does agree to run away and elope with um, the Count. Her uncle goes away on a trip. The Count, Hideko, and Suki run off. And 
they get married. And they're now a throuple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Um, we see poor Suki having to, like, lay in a bedroom and listen to what she thinks is she's hearing is them making love in the next room on their wedding night. And it's, but they're still, you can tell they're still really intimate and close and there's a lot of showing them holding hands and stuff still. It's just, it makes it so painful because you know what's coming. And you, we even see Soki is just like, we have to get this over with. Like we have to take her and put her in the madhouse. I can't take it anymore. We got, we got to get this going. Cause they spend like several days at this place um, for a honeymoon or whatever. While the count is going into town and getting the inheritance all lined up. So once the count gets all the money taken care of, he takes Hideko and Suki, they go to a mental institution. Suki is under the impression that they're going to have Hideko committed. And then they'll take the money and be done with it. But plot twist number one, the first big plot twist in Act 1. They... Tell the people at the asylum that Suki is Lady Hideko, and they have Suki committed. So Hideko and the Count have double-crossed Suki, and she gets committed to the same asylum, and the whole movie rewinds and starts over, essentially. Yeah, because it couldn't be over, because this movie is two and a half hours long and we're only an hour in so we knew (laughs) (laughs) it's it's basically like essentially a record scratch like whoop how did we get into this crazy situation reverse (laughs) rewind all the way back to a flashback where we see this is where we see more about Hideko's situation her poor aunt did not commit suicide her poor aunt was driven nuts by her abusive uncle and the how awful it was having to do those readings and how awful it was to train poor little baby Hideko to read these dirty books and she tried her aunt tried to run away and her uncle captured her aunt and tortured her in this torture chamber he has in the basement so Hideko isn't this quiet, naive, sheltered person like Suki thinks she is. She's been through a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, and has been sexualized since she was itty-bitty. So the Count has already invested all this time into becoming a forger artist to do this whole thing. But the minute he sees her do one of these erotic readings... He clocks immediately that she is way too smart. She's too smart. She's too worldly. She's too much of a badass bitch. He's like, there's no way I can pull this on her. So the Count goes to Hideko and, you know, tells her to get in on the plan. He's like, instead of, you know, me trying to trick you and steal your inheritance, we'll take your inheritance together and you can be free. And she's hesitant at first because she's so afraid of her uncle. And she's afraid that he, the same thing that happened to her, her aunt will happen to her. Where if she tries to run away, he'll capture her and he'll torture her in the basement. And so the Count says, here's a little vial of 
like pure opium. A couple drops will knock you unconscious. The whole thing will fucking kill you. So if you were ever captured by your uncle at any point in this plan, you down this thing and you'll die immediately and you won't have to go through torture. And apparently that's enough to <laughs> convince Nego. She's like, cool. <laughs> plan accepted. So the whole time, the plan has always been the Count and Hideko had been working together to use Suki as a pawn to, so that they could put her in a hospital and fake her death so that no one would ever come looking for Hideko. Right. So they thought that she was, that Suki was naive, mm-hmm. but they kind of, I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but they mentioned that her mother was this like master what's the word I want like pickpocket pretty much mm-hmm. and so I think they kind of like they they sell her character short for a while like oh they don't really consider her to be like she's just a pickpocket's daughter like she's not anything that's gonna I don't know understand what's going on yeah so mm-hmm. in both acts they make both women look to be less than what they are like they don't have agency they are just naive, stupid women in some respect. Yeah. Like, everyone is underestimating everybody. Yeah. Um, so, with this rewind into Act 2, um, we also get to re-see certain scenes, but from Hideko's point of view. So, we see more of their lovemaking scene. Um, yeah, Which it's is... longer this time, and they grab hands. I loved when they, like, grabbed hands. It was almost like a handshake, and it kind of, like, foreshadowed that maybe they're going to be on each other's team, in my mind. I don't know. I really loved that scene. Oh, yeah, when they're, like, scissoring in the way that they're, yeah. like, grasp hands. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because <laughs> Suki even makes a comment, like, when they're you know, when they're banging, she's like, you're natural at this, like, because she still thinks that she's, like, a naive virgin, doesn't know anything, and she's, like, rocking her world, and she's (laughs) like, you're you're real natural at this, because where did you learn how to, it's like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) I read a book or two. You know. Um, Oh, so we see that the whole time that we were seeing Suki fall for Hideko, Hideko was falling for Suki. Um, And now we're seeing scenes that we thought we knew what happened the first time, but we didn't really. So what we saw was Hideko telling Suki, you know, maybe I love someone else. Maybe I don't want to marry the count. And then her Suki insisting she marries the count and Hideko slapping her and, you know, shoving her away. What actually happened after that is Probably, this is my favorite part of the whole movie. Yes, same. <laughs> she takes the rope that she, her aunt was found hanging from. She goes out to that same tree and she goes to hang herself. And right as she lets go of the branch to drop and strangle herself, <laughs> Suki's underneath her and catches her. So she's just, like, holding her around the calves, lifting her up so there's slack on the rope so she won't hang. 
And it it sounds like morbid, but it's really funny. It's another great example of physical comedy. Yeah, so, I laughed out loud at this scene here in a second, and I was like, I can't believe I'm laughing right now, but it's really funny. I know it's messed up, but it's so so. They have this whole conversation while she's like holding her up to keep her from from hanging. And this is the first time that um, Haiku says her first name, right? Oh yes. So, she because before she called her something else, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what it is either. She has, Suki's been going under a fake name this whole time. So, Suki, like, spills her guts and admits what she was going to do and, like, please don't die. I'm so sorry. I, you know, I'm sorry. I was going to double cross you, but I, I changed my mind and please don't do, you know, don't die. And very calmly, Hideku, like, replies to her but she uses her real name Suki and she's like how do you know my name yeah and so the whole truth comes out and Hideko tells her that they were going to double cross her as well so now they're in on the plot together they admit that they like have feelings for each other and there's they said fuck the men we're going to take matters into our own hands but before that, Suki gets mad for like a second because she's like realizing all of this and she drops her legs and walks away. <laughs> and she starts like to almost die. And then I love her. Suki's line is like, oh, sorry, miss. Like she goes, oh, God, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she like, Hideko tells Suki what the plan was and Suki's just like, just drops her. She's like, that fucking count. And <laughs> she's just hanging there from a noose for a second. She's like, oh, oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was when I laughed. It was really funny. Oh, God. <laughs> so they write to um, Suki's family and tells them what the new plan is. And um, then we see they go through the whole having Suki committed thing because the count still is, you know, none the wiser. Um, but then Suki's family comes and busts her out and like sets the asylum on fire and gets Suki out of there. And we see, um, Hideko and the Count go like, I guess, on their real honeymoon. They, you know, make plans to split up the cash and what, what are they going to do from then on? And the Count is just like, well, you'll have to marry me again as Suki. She's going to take on Suki's um, identity. And they like, go back to a room and they're, they start to f- fool around. And Hideku puts some of the poison, just enough of the poison to knock him out into a wine glass. And he... They start uh, making out and... Huh? I said, in this fucker, he... Mm, he can't make it easy on us. <laughs> of course not. He won't just drink the fucking wine. No. Yeah. He makes a baz at her and she's going along with it. She's just trying to get him to drink this fucking wine. She he downs is, hers. Yeah, he's making out with her and she like looks and you see her on both wine glasses and she looks at hers and it's empty and then she looks at the other one and she's like so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> so she starts... He's like... Unbuttoning, buttoning her dress and is like getting all into her boobies, and she's 
she takes his glass and pours it in her mouth and then kisses him and, and pushes the poison into his mouth. And she does this several times and he just keeps getting more and more aggressive. And to the point where he's, she's hoping that he'll pass out before things escalate too far, but he gets to the point where he like completely overpowers her and she starts to fight back and he pins her to the ground and is essentially, he's about to rape her. Because then, that's what women want to be taken by force, duh. Gross. Uh, so gross. That's the worst part, too. Like, he was already about to have consensual sex with her. Yeah. In, in his mind, at least. Yeah. He had to make it violent because he's a piece of shit. <laughs> and, but before he can um, violate her, he passes out, thankfully. And she takes all the money and fucks off. <laughs> and yeah. meets up with um, Suki. One thing, if we can go back just a second, before they initially left the house where the uncle is, um, Suki goes to the basement where um, she's been reading the all of the weird sex books, and Suki starts destroying it for her, which I think was a really powerful moment um, oh, yeah. that that we learned that they're, both women are given more agency, and their feelings are validated for especially Hideku's um, feelings because that's the first time someone's been like, ooh, gross, that happened to you? Like, no, that's not okay. And I feel like she hadn't had that before that moment when they kind of just destroy part of the creepy sex dungeon place. Yeah, and uh, Hideko calls Suki her savior. And it's very romantic yeah. and sweet. It's very much her like knight in shining armor moment. Yeah. I told, yeah, I forgot about that scene. That was very, very sweet. And um, even the scenes of them before we see their final double cross, when we see them running away to meet up with the Count, like, Suki helps Hideko over the wall. She, like, stacks up the luggage and helps her climb over it. And we see them, like, holding hands and running through a field laughing together. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. They're so cute. And then after they knock out the count and are reunited, I'm fighting with my cat while I'm trying to talk because she <laughs> won't get out of my face. Um, the uncles, a couple of the uncle's goons find the count and capture him and take him back to the uncle's torture dungeon. As he is being transferred back, though, he has a little container of two looking different types of cigarettes, and he takes all of one kind and puts, like, four of them in his mouth at the same time, just like, fuck it, I'm smoking the rest of my cigarettes, this, this is the end, so I just love that they're just, like, annoyed, and he's, like, smoking four cigarettes at the same time. Yeah, yeah. At first, when he first started doing it, I thought he was going to, like, offer the guards the other two because no. uh, like we don't find out until later what he's doing but he's like purposely smoking the rest of his regular cigarettes just so that yeah. just the two blue ones will be left but he's just smoking a whole mouthful of them in this car with these two like goons and they're like rolling down the window and like oh gross <laughs> and the uncle starts to torture the count and is trying to get him to give him all of the filthy details about oh, Lady yeah. Hideko. Creepy so. questions about her. 
like about her vagina oh god it was so gross yeah like really he wants really really specific details it's disgusting and um oh i pair it the ladies write a letter to the uncle which i paraphrased if you would like to hear what they put in the letter oh yes number one women don't want to be raped <laughs> um number two dude you got played the count is just a farmhand he has not anything fancy and um, then he starts to, that's pretty much the letter. And then he starts to, to torture the count. So, sorry, we're back to, I just wanted to throw out there that you got played. Yeah, I totally forgot that they had written that letter too. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> Such a great fuck you. Yeah. And to the count's credit, man, he puts up with a lot of torture. Like he gets his yeah. fucking fingers chopped off and he's. It's an interesting torture machine. Oh, yeah. He's got a lot going on. There's screws yeah. through his hand. And uh, and of course, the whole time, the Count's just like, give me all the filthy details. Yeah. Oh. Well, we see, we cut back to the wedding night, and we see that he has no filthy details to give, because they did not have sex. She masturbated so that, that people would hear her moan, and she cut her own hand so that there'd be blood on the, their... Um, they're betting. But other than that, they didn't do anything. And um, instead of just telling the uncle that, uh, he's just like, that's my wife. I'm not going to tell you anything just to be an asshole. And he, um, ow, Dottie, she bit the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> he asked the uncle, he's like, um, you know, before you keep torturing and killing, killing me, can I have a final smoke? And for reasons I'm not entirely sure, he <laughs> the uncle's yeah. like, yeah, sure. So he gives him fingers left, so it's fine. He yeah, yeah. He gives him his last couple of cigarettes, and um, then he makes a comment. He smokes both of the blue cigarettes down while avoiding talking about about Hideko, not giving the information that the uncle wants because he won't give him the satisfaction. Um. And then the uncle comments that the smoke is very weird. It's blue and and denser than normal cigarette smoke. And then he passes out. We find out that he, these special blue cigarettes are laced with mercury. So just the same way that he gave Hideko that poison as her easy out if she ever got captured and tortured. His plan B, if he ever got captured, was these mercury poison cigarettes. So he kills himself and the uncle through mercury poisoning through the smoke. And then it cuts back to the girls. The um, Hideko is in disguise as Suki's, what, her cousin or some male relative. Yeah, something like that. Um, she's in full dude drag and has a fake passport. And they hop on a boat. And then we see them in their like suite, their little their cabin on the boat, and they make more sweet sweet lovins. And yeah, um, they live happily ever after in my mind. Yep, they live happily ever after. That's pretty much it. Um, without going into detail of the weird shit that they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier, during one of Hideko's um, readings of the her gross sex books she is forced to read they talk about these um silver balls these bells 
round bells that um, ladies put up inside themselves, and then when they're scissoring, that like clangs together and makes noise and all that fun stuff. And at the end, that's during their last lovemaking scene. That's uh, what they're using. And I cannot stress this enough how uncomfortable these things look. <laughs> oh, they do not look like a good time to me. I'm just saying. Uh, they're like way too big and they look too hard and like. Well, didn't um, Suki find them at the very beginning in the closet? Like, not, I mean, obviously not the same ones, but like. Like they've been like a thing throughout the the whole movie. The yeah, project. because the uncle also used similar like balls on strings to punish Hideku. He would like would put a metal ball in her mouth yeah. and then beat her knuckles with these metal balls on strings. Um And how fitting for at the end what was used for punishment is now like it's so empowering. It's their their pleasure. Yeah. It's good c- cinematic language. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, what are what are your thoughts of this movie overall? What are some of your favorite themes of the movie? Hmm. I love this movie because I love all the twists and turns. I love all the dramatic irony. I love that everyone who's taken for granted is actually way smarter than we thought that they were at some point. It's really hard to characterize someone at any point in the novel till the very end. And I like that about it because characters are multidimensional. They're not just like, they're not just one thing. They're not just naive. They are a lot of things, which I think is good, good writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Characters do that. And I also love the theme of like at the end, what the women wanted was honesty and someone who was transparent and for a movie that isn't transparent at all in the way that it's cut and filmed, it's kind of ironic that the actual character motivations just, they just want honesty and they want someone who's going to be real with them instead of trying to take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. And in the end, they finally find each other through just having a moment of clarity and honesty, which I like. Yeah. Well said. Exactly. I love, I love the relationship dynamics they have. Um, I like, like I said earlier, like I was was joking about it being kinky, but it's a genuine relationship dynamic for some people. The a more motherly, caring role. Um, but I think Hideko also finds pleasure in switching that role too, and taking care of Suki. Like there's that really great scene where she dresses Suki up in her clothes. And the, and the count like told her to do it so that Suki would like see all of her nice things and covet them more and it would help with their con. But you can tell that Hideko like loves dressing her up and like, and Suki refers to Hideko as like her doll and what a gift it is as her her handmaiden to be able to have this beautiful thing to to dress up. There's just like such a mutual passion for each other to take care of each other. You don't get a sense of um one even though in the big scheme of things 
in the overall story, they were taking advantage of each other in terms of their romantic interactions. It's, I think it's a very even give and take between them. Yeah. There's not a power struggle. It's um, very mutual respect. At the end. Yeah. Oh, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I, at first I was, I had to watch it in two nights because I didn't have enough time because it's so long, but like I, at first, I was like, oh, this movie's long. I'm not looking forward to rewatching it. And then it was like, this movie's over already. <laughs> like, yeah. I have to stop it tonight. So it really kind of goes really quickly because there's so there's three parts. There's so many twists and turns. Mm. It doesn't really go. It goes quickly. Like, even just, like I said at the beginning, like, so much happens, but it's organized so well that, like, I feel like a lot of movies with twists and turns like this there's i wouldn't recommend to a lot of people unless i knew their taste in movies this i feel like there's so many different types of people and their taste of movies that i think this would strike a chord with yeah and even when you're watching scenes that you've watched previously you're still really engaged because it's a total different perspective Mm -hmm. on that same instance Mm -hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on this one no, I think we... Oh, one thing I did want to mention that I loved, there was a line about how the cherry tree, um, where the ant died. Um, let me look at my notes. There was something about... Oh, there was a line like, now that this the ant's soul was captured in it, it blooms longer and brighter now. And I just loved that. That was... I don't know. Cherry trees are beautiful anyways, and it just was a cute little line and how much to do there. There ain't well grand. I think that's the only thing from my extensive notes <laughs> uh, that we didn't discuss. Yeah, I told um, I was telling Heather before we started recording that like I didn't take very many notes while I was watching this because I just got so. I mean, anyone who knows me personally or has tried to watch a movie with me and I never shut up, or who follows me on Twitter when I live tweet stuff because I can't stop making comments about it this movie is so engaging that i didn't do that like i even on a a rewatch i was so sucked into it that i didn't even really take notes i just was enjoying every part of it um well i wanted to be prepared for this hillary i did my (laughs) heather is very scholarly heather is she is she's a doctor after all (laughs) yeah yeah oh Poor Heather. Heather has her PhD and she's the smartest person I know and has her shit together more than anyone I know. And ever since she got her PhD, I insist on always calling her Dr. Heather Hair. <laughs> yeah, it's, you don't have to do that. Uh, I know I don't have to. I just do it to be annoying. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, where can people find you online, Heather, if you want them to even? You could say, no, fuck that. Well, I've been, I figured you were going to ask me that. And I am an old woman who doesn't have the Twitter. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say that um, you can't find me anywhere. But if this podcast becomes a big deal, which listeners, it should be, <laughs> um, I will reveal my secrets. I will reveal where they can find me. <laughs> <laughs> so one day when you make a big hill. I will be like, I knew her. This, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> and this certainly won't be the last time that 
Heather's on the show, she will be on here many, many times if I have anything, if I have any power over it, which I do, because it's my show. So my creator spotlight for this episode, for anyone who doesn't know, I've started doing a thing where every episode I pick a creator of some sort, any type of content creator to shout out. And uh, this episode, I'm going to shout out the musician Zolita. Um, she creates amazing, witchy, sapphic, fun, dance, and angsty music. Like, she just, the whole spectrum of everything you could need. She's the lesbian pop goddess of my dreams, and I worship her. Um, she is beautiful inside and out. I'm obsessed with her and her music. Um, my favorite song is Holy, which also has an incredible music video that Zelita herself directed. So check her out. Check out that music video. If you dig her music, send her some love on Twitter. She's at Zolita, Z-O-L-I-T-A. Hi, Zolita. I love you. I worship you. Uh, <laughs> um, and you can follow the podcast on social media as well. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at weirdos underscore pod. We also have a Tumblr account at weirdospod.tumblr.com. Um, feel free to shoot us an email at wearetheweirdospodcast at gmail.com. Send us recommendations, requests, questions, anything whatsoever. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to support the podcast with a donation, please head over to the anchor.fm page at anchor.fm slash wearetheweirdosmister, each word divided by a dash. You know how those URLs are. Your donations help pay for movie tickets, movie rentals, travel, equipment, etc. You can sign up for a monthly patronage or a one-time donation. Either way, you will get a shout-out on the show. And for just the price of a cup of coffee, you can make a huge difference. And like I always say, I might actually use it for a cup of coffee. I'm very tired. <laughs> so thank you all again for listening. Thank you again, Heather, for being on the show. Yes, thank you. And until next time... We are the weirdos, mister.